0: Welcome to the third episode of African Media Thermometer. I'm Paul McNally. This is a four-part podcast series taking the temperature of the media industry and health reporting in Africa, particularly during the time of COVID-19. The show is brought to you by Cast Media Africa and produced by Volume. Cast Media Africa is the media program for sub saharan Africa for the German Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. And over these four episodes, we'll be speaking to some of the top journalists and editors in Africa about how they are reporting on health during COVID-19. In this episode, we speak to journalists and editors about the quality of health journalism during this time and what it takes to make strong content accessible, both for creators and audiences. A good
1: health story is one that explains the science and the medicine in a way that people can understand it.
2: The health uh, reporting started from one of shock, but then gradually recovered and then moved in some very good sense towards more accountability journalism.
3: I think what COVID-19 has done is to show newsrooms the importance of health
0: reporters, the importance of that health docket. Traditionally, health reporting has been seen as niche journalism, with specialised reporters focusing on that specific beat. But the pandemic turned that on its head very quickly. Suddenly, newsrooms and reporters of all kinds were focusing on on the pandemic.
1: If we talk about the quality of or the accessibility of health journalism
0: during COVID nineteen, we really need to think about what makes a good health story. This is Poncho Pilani, a communications and journalism professional in South Africa and the co convener of the Cass Media Africa Health Journalism Conference. She has worked in a variety of newsrooms and has been looking closely at how the pandemic is being covered. A good science story does not just
1: tell people the grim, dark news. It also tells people about the solutions that may be in the pipeline and that gives people information on prevention as well.
0: As someone who works across different kinds of media, Poncho has been looking keenly at how the pandemic has been covered in print, radio, TV, online, and across all the social media platforms. She says she has been seeing some good variety, I think it's very important to give people the facts on
1: what is happening. This is how many infections the country has. This is where it's going. But I also think it's equally important to be able to also re-emphasize the importance of prevention as we talk about the numbers and why the infections are increasing and so also giving people, particularly at the beginning stages, reminding people of the
0: prevention methods, reminding people what the disease is. Poncho has a daily 10 minute slot on the radio station Mots wedding FM, where she speaks about COVID nineteen in her home language, Saswana. <laughs> For her, an important part of covering such a complex story well is finding a balance between repeating important basic information and keeping up with the complex evolution of the pandemic. Usually, even if I'm talking
1: about the numbers or the latest news on dexamethasone as a treating method for people on ventilators, I always ensure to mention social distancing, the importance of wearing a mask, washing our hands regularly, and staying home. Because I think as much as the information on the progress of the pandemic is important, the information on prevention is. And we are creatures of habit. The more we hear things, the more likely we are to do them.
0: And so sneak it in there somehow. We'll get back to the problem of accessibility with Poncho a little later. But she isn't the only one who has felt that the quality of health coverage has evolved over the course of the pandemic. Here is Dapo Aloranyomi, the publisher at the investigative news platform Premium Times, based in Abuja in Nigeria. With
2: regards to health journalism specifically, I think we can categorize it into two significant moments. The very early periods of the pandemic, I guess this caught everybody in a little shock. Wow, this is a huge pandemic. It's going to kill everybody. and A lot of reporting seemed to be so narrowly focused to government release data and statistics on cases of both infection, hospitalisation and deaths.
0: While there was this early shock where journalists were trying to grapple with the basic facts, over time there has been more in-depth reporting. Dapper says reporters were holding government to account and digging deeper than what they were officially being told.
2: Once we recovered... From that early shock, I will say that government, of course, as usual, was very, I guess, too embarrassed to even release the true data about both cases and hospitalization and also about deaths. But you see very innovative reporting. Augmenting this by getting mortuary or burial sites data. You know, these are very interesting reporting that we notice in this era.
0: Journalists around the continent had to keep up with a rapidly changing situation. Here's Asha Mwilu, the founder and editor at large of Debunk.media, a very new digital publication in Kenya.
3: Where I feel has been quite challenging is the progression of the reporting. I think it's half to do with the journalism, but on the other hand, it's also about access to information. In Kenya, for instance, the government does give daily briefings of how many new cases we have, the basic data of this disease. However, we don't have an overview of how exactly COVID has affected society in Kenya. So for instance, out of the people who have very severe disease, we don't know the number first and foremost of the people who who are severely affected by COVID-19. We don't know what pre-existing conditions they've had. And so it's been quite difficult to sort of like contextualize this thing for Kenyans and to really give them a face of what COVID-19 looks in their context. And so for that for that reason, we have heard a lot of people saying that they don't feel that coronavirus is real because they, do, they really don't see how it's affected them directly apart from the economic impact in their lives because of lockdowns, because of restrictions and because of night curfews.
0: When Asha left TV news during the pandemic, she was one of the most famous reporters on Citizen TV and founded Debunk. She wanted to do this kind of reporting with deeper context, and she wanted to use data to do it.
3: My reporting while on TV was mainly, you know, just the everyday reporting of how are people reacting? What is the messaging from government? How are the hospitals looking? Are they filling up? And I did see that, you know, this everyday reporting sort of like takes you away from sitting down, going in depth, analyzing the numbers that were being given by government every single day. And when I left and founded Debunk Media, the one thing that I thought myself and the team could do is to take a step back and crunch the numbers, break down these numbers for our audiences. And that's what we are currently doing.
0: Here's an example of a video story, one of the first that Debunk ever made.
3: This is what 70 kilometers of traffic looks like. 70 kilometers of stranded cargo truckers trying to cross the Kenyan Ugandan border in the midst of a health pandemic. The story is called truckers, sex workers and coronavirus in East Africa because it is exactly that is a ticking time bomb for the five East African countries that are so interconnected through trade and through diplomacy. And what happened at the Kenya and Uganda border is that one day there was traffic from truck drivers stretching up to 100 kilometers in some instances, and the truckers had to stay 21 days in that traffic, trying to get clearance into
0: Uganda. The trucks were transporting food, but also medical equipment. And even though the presidents of the different countries had a meeting about this, they didn't anticipate this kind of influx of truck drivers all at once at the border. Asha in this way brought data and reporting together to make her point. And so our story uses first just the visuals of the border, the
3: traffic, as well as what the data was telling us about the effect of that one loophole that the governments failed to see. The effect of that was that at this border town in Kenya called Busia, where there were only four confirmed cases of COVID-19 just before the truck drivers went to cross the border, The Busia town shot up to become one of the top three counties in coronavirus infections in Kenya. And so just using that piece of data and then combining it with really great reporting from the ground and finding these nuances that we miss out on created like this really powerful story that many people who've watched have told us that it's an eye opener for them as to how coronavirus has impacted communities in in Africa.
0: While the pandemic in some ways is making newsrooms more innovative and agile, storytellers are also facing greater challenges in how to do their jobs. Asher says a big concern is safety.
3: The challenge I've personally faced, one of them is um, feeling unsafe while reporting on coronavirus. And I know this is will sound really strange to people who've watched my reporting, especially on TV, because I was the first reporter in Kenya to go into the isolation wards at Magadi Hospital. So I do feel that my safety has been a big concern to me. My style of reporting is very field-based. It's very live-action-based. I do love to report from communities. And so it's been quite challenging to think of going into
0: areas where COVID has really spread and think about my safety. Reporters around the world are needing to think very differently about their work. And this often means being in close contact with people and going into areas that are high risk for transmission. They are putting their own bodies on the line, and Asha worries rightfully for herself and her staff. But the issue of safety isn't just around protective equipment and hygiene, unfortunately. Nigel Mugamu is founder and CEO of 263Chad in Zimbabwe. We heard from him in a previous episode. And he and his staff are facing safety threats of a different kind.
2: One of the things that we're also facing as a country is that the government has used uh, period to target the opposition and the eight years almost eight years that i've been operating you know you start fearing for your life you're not sure if you publish this story you know are we next These kinds of things that happen colleagues and team members and of course because i am chief storyteller I'm i'm constantly trying to ensure my team is safe
0: nigel is worried about his team with good reason they have had more than one incident where the 263 chat staff have gotten into trouble with the authorities.
2: One of my journalists who uh, was uh, reporting on the three ladies who were abducted was then arrested and spent the weekend in prison. I've got another journalist, our photojournalist, who was uh, beaten by soldiers. On his way home, he was really close to home. I uh, produced his uh, press card to say, he Look, I'm a journalist. Uh, and he was uh, subsequently beaten. So it- it's a tough environment.
0: These threats also mean Nigel's team can't work the way they normally would. Reporters cannot travel to certain parts of the country and can't always report easily. These safety concerns, both in terms of health and security, have changed not only how journalists report, but how newsrooms run, particularly for DAPO from Premium Times in Nigeria.
2: With regards to newsroom management also, we then face another kind of uh, universe. How to supervise reporters since many of them now have to work from home. And then how to use uh, the new tools of uh, newsroom management. Mostly meeting with the new meeting platforms like Zoom.
0: This was an adaptation, but it also affected the relationship between the staff.
2: News reporters then complained about peer relationships, which the world of the newsroom offered, but which now is no longer the case, as it were. You could always walk to your colleague in the newsroom just to have a very quick discussion about a story you were doing, and all that now has turned into a totally new
0: uh,
2: new ways of doing it.
0: New ways of engagement and collaboration had to be found. But Dapo says that while all of this puts strain on their ability to tell stories it also brought along with it some good.
2: Uh, I must say, however, that uh, it didn't seem that this was something helpful in itself. We were able to have far more meetings. We were able to schedule appointments quicker. We moved very quickly into a totally new world.
0: These newsrooms were also facing new or different ethical challenges around how they reported on the pandemic.
2: We faced a major challenge Between privacy rights of citizens on the one hand, and also what you I will call, you know, freedom of expression. How should we report these issues? Should you announce deaths, you know, um, before even loved ones are aware? In what details should you go?
0: Dapo's reporters had to do their best to handle their sources and information with sensitivity.
2: The solution ultimately weighed on being sensitive and showing compassion in this kind of reporting and not making it very voyeuristic, but uh, just helping the society itself to heal and get uh, better aware about uh, what is going on.
0: This kind of sensitivity in reporting is particularly important during the pandemic. While this is a health story, it is so much more than that. So journalists have to reach far beyond statistics or government speeches to represent the full picture. A presenter and news reporter at Royal Media Services in Kenya, Hagai Isanya, has been chasing stories around what effects the pandemic's been having on societal norms. Like this story about gender-based violence. Here in Kenya, research has shown that during this COVID-19
4: period, cases of domestic violence have risen. Recently, I went to a slum area in Nairobi called Madare, where I was able to interview two ladies who have experienced violence as a result of COVID-19. These two ladies, their husbands, battered them badly, such that these two men were reported to the police and action was taken against them.
0: Hagai spoke to the woman and the story was well received.
4: The story went on air. Very many people were able to respond and they explained The kind of violence that they have undergone in the hands of their husbands and some of these men were taken to the police station and action was taken against.
0: While Haggai says he believes that there has been good reporting done during the pandemic, that doesn't mean it has been easy.
4: The challenges that I have experienced is getting experts to interview on COVID-19. This is because this is a new disease. So most of the doctors that we have have not been accessible or most of them don't have a lot of information concerning COVID-19.
0: Thankfully, this has improved with time. So more knowledge about the pandemic has been gained. It's not just doctors and government officials that Haggai has struggled to get information from. Even people who have recovered from COVID-19 haven't been opening up.
4: People who have healed from this disease coming out to share their stories has been a problem. In Kenya, we've only had two cases. That story was even aired. And these two people, they shared the story in front of our president, His Excellency Uhuru Kenyatta. After that, the people who have healed from this disease, very, very many of them don't want to come out and share their stories. And this is because of stigma and discrimination.
0: Like Dapo, Hagai has had to learn to deal with new challenges in handling sources to get the best quality reporting out there. But quality reporting isn't just about the content, but about who it reaches. Poncho from South Africa, who you heard from earlier, believes that the media has fallen short here in terms of reaching wider audiences in a way they can understand. We cannot talk
1: about accessibility and not talk about language. South Africa has 11 official languages, and I think it is not enough to just have messaging in just the 11 languages. But I'm still very concerned about that diversification of knowledge of content in different languages in South Africa.
0: Even if there are health reporters like Poncho speaking in those languages, there's another problem. Another challenge was that some of these
1: words didn't exist. The word lockdown did not exist in Setswana, you know, talking about level four of lockdown. Some of the words, it's not that they didn't even exist. It's that they were not words that we thought needed to exist. It's not that we do not know this thing can exist. The word can exist in our language. But it is a matter of the, there has never been necessity
0: for this word to be used. Therefore, The word just is simply just not there. Poncho spoke to linguists, colleagues, and sometimes other Setswana speakers like her parents to try come up with the best translations.
1: Something that I particularly struggled with, which was I'm taking scientific knowledge, which is already almost a language on its own. And now I have to translate it, understand it first in English, and then simplify it in English, and then take this English simplification and try to To translate it into Sitsuana so I can talk about it on the radio in Sitsuana using as little English as possible. That is not easy. (laughs) It sounds easy, but it is. Not at all. And
0: it was one of the most difficult things that I've had to do in a very long time. Asha in Kenya agrees that information in more local languages is needed. But there is an even deeper issue of accessibility. Communities need to have reporting that speaks to their context on every level.
3: When you go down to the community reporting, you do find that health reporters are very few. We don't have very many specialized reporters that can report in vernacular languages or even in Swahili. And so you do see a gap in the sort of in-depth explanatory journalism that people in those communities need even more to understand
0: why COVID is very different in their specific context. Asher said we should be looking more carefully at these communities, both as audiences... And sources. I think the possible solution and lessons that I have learned personally from this
3: pandemic is what is really important in society. I think journalists have spent too much time Following up and keeping tabs on politicians, that we have really forgotten issues that affect our communities. And even when we do report on these issues, they are sort of treated as not the priority. They are lower in our bulletins, they are hidden in our newspaper articles, and I think this pandemic has
0: brought them to the forefront. She says this has been a big lesson for her, that will hopefully inform her journalism more broadly in the future.
3: It's taken coronavirus to start reporting on how many ICU beds we have across the country. And it's really glaring to report that certain counties that have so much budgetary allocation going into healthcare, having zero ICU beds or zero ventilators, even up until now, when coronavirus is slowly peaking in Kenya, I think that has been a wake-up call for me as a journalist to sort of like dig deeper and find the things that affect people.
0: The pandemic is bringing new creativity to journalism.
3: I think what COVID-19 has done, especially in Kenya, from my observation, is to show newsrooms the importance of health reporters, the importance of that health docket in mainstream media before coronavirus. It was sort of placed as sort of like the vegetables of news, the features reporters, the the soft news. And I think COVID-19 has just shown how important health reporting is and how important good quality and and well-funded health journalism is.
0: This has been the third of four podcasts from Cast Media Africa about how health journalism is adapting to the COVID-19 crisis. In our fourth and final episode, we will look back on how the Cass African Health Reporting Conference morphed into a series of virtual offerings due to the COVID-19 pandemic and consider the key lessons for Africa's health reporters. Cass Media Africa supports organizations and journalists just like the ones you've heard here today. You can find more information at our website, www.cast.de slash MediaAfrica. That's www.cast.de slash MediaAfrica. And interact with our Twitter handle, at Cast Media. My name is Paul McNally. Our producer is Elna Schutz. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.
4: Volume.